They are telling us we are going to find a way to assimilate into our culture the evangelical. You and me. So they said to Nebuchadnezzar, let's do one more thing. <laughs> let's just say if anybody goes home and prays and makes a petition to any other god but your god, we're going to put him in the lion's den. Okay? The best way to get a ruler to sign a decree is fees eagle. And I just visualized Daniel walking home from the office one day and he stops by the telephone pole and he reads that sign. If you make a petition to any other god except the god Bell, you're going to go to the lion's den. And Daniel, I just visualized him starting to run home. And somebody Paula hollers at him. Hey, where are you going, Daniel? And he hollers back, I'm going home to pray. You see, Daniel's lifestyle put him in the lion's den. Now you have to ask yourself the question, where will your lifestyle put you? It's the same God and it's the same gospel. In a time of problem, he knelt and prayed. What will you do? The Word of God says, Awake thou that sleepest. We have been rocked to sleep with the Bible that saved our soul. We're not hearing the literal rendering in this nation as to the Word of God. I might serve a God of love, but I'll tell you in that Old Testament, I got scared one day when I read in Amos, when God made bare His arm, and I don't want the wrath of God down on me, nor my son, my daughter-in-law, nor my wife. For me and my house, we're going to be found serving Jesus Christ. We need a time of resolve. We need the consciousness of the fact that the wrath of God is on our churches today across this land because we do not heed to the Word of God. Number one. I think that the church of Jesus Christ has lost its power with God. Do you know where we've lost our power? There are no absolutes in the Bible. The New Age movement tells us that there are no absolutes. Do you know what an absolute is? An absolute is, thus saith the Lord. Repent or perish. The Bible says, search the Scriptures, for in them they do testify of me. That's an absolute. And they're telling us there is no such thing. The New Age movement in the form of all of our great denominations today, they're telling us there's only situation ethics. You know what that is? <laughs> That's a nice little word. When a situation comes along to you and you fall into it, it's not a sin. Because you see, the situation itself isn't sin. It's just something that happened. So, while you're there, enjoy yourself. It's a new experience. It's a new dimension. Because there are no such things as absolutes. Then they tell us that we're in moral relativism. I want to explain this word to you. A lady was on television not too long ago on a talk show. <clears throat> and she said, 
I've been having a long-term affair with my best friend's husband. Now, I know it's not the thing to do, but I love it, I'm enjoying it, and for me, it's the right thing. That is moral relativism. If you enjoy it, go ahead. Now we ask the question, what happened to our Bible? If you think we haven't lost our power, listen to this. A recent poll was taken, 93% of all Americans said they owned a Bible. 50% of them said we never look at it. It's a piece of furniture in the house. You know what Bibles are used for? Record. Marriages, deaths, birthdays, that's what it's for. 23% of all born-again Christians, that's you and me, 23% of some eight or 10,000 people polled said we never read a Bible. 85% of born-again Christians said from one Sunday, July the 7th to July the 14th, we never open our Bible. Can I ask you a question? Has the church not lost its power with God? Mr. Gallup of Gallup Poll said, three out of five people, three out of five people knew the four Gospels. Three out of five. Can you tell me Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Three out of five. He's talking to evangelical Christians. Now listen to this. Nobody, nobody could give him the answer as to what is the Pentateuch. What does it comprise? Who is the author? Nobody. What are we teaching in our churches? Only half of the Christians polled knew that Jesus Christ delivered the Sermon on the Mount. This ought to blow your mind. 42% of all born-again Christians polled out of around 10,000 people or so, said this, without government laws, without police forces, without some kind of enforcement, we would have no guideline to follow for daily living. That came from born-again Christians. I ask you a question, saints of God, whatever happened to our Bible? Sad. Sad commentary on the life of the church. Francis Schaeffer, one of our great theologians, said, The church of Jesus Christ has lost her commitments to the absolutes. He said, We have grown soft on the positives. Dr. Hawking, three weeks ago, made this remark. When I go to the big evangelical services, I find nothing that's evangelical. I find that we are in a health and wealth syndrome in the ministry. My attitude is any man who's in the ministry that can build himself a three million dollar house does not need my tithe money. He said, Dr. Hawking continued to say, we have misplaced the fact of faith by, a, by our experience or our emotion of faith. Saints, are we not going through the motions? I was going across the bridge the other day and my son pointed down and said, there's a moth, one of the mothball fleet. They're pulling it back, <clears throat> pushing it back up to Martinez where it belongs. 
Bob, you go by there and you say, Boy, aren't those beautiful battleships? Somebody said, No. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful looking battleship. Boy, look at that thing. It painted gray, got the number on it, gun turrets up on top. No, no. Oh, yeah, that's a battleship. They said, No, it's not a battleship. Well, what do you mean? No, that's the mothball fleet. Well, what's the difference between that and the battleship? That's non functional. How many Christians come to church and we look like Christians? Hey, we carry the Bible. Boy, you can get a King James Version real cheap. We sing the, the hymns. We pray the prayers. We go through the motions. How many of us really have not already joined the mothball fleet? The Hollywood mogul. This will blow your mind. The Hollywood mogul said, we will get our viewpoint across to the world through our own media. They said this year that we have had the best years of our entire lives in the last three or four years. Let me explain what I'm talking about when I say Hollywood mogul. I'm talking about give or take 10 or 15 plus or minus, about 200 men in the Los Angeles area, the Hollywood area. They are called entertainment moguls. Most of them are Jewish. They are forerunners of the New Age movement. They say there is no God. Morals has to do with the eye of the beholder. This is why we're getting on television what we're getting. But I want you to see, when you back at a movie theater, someone who's a Hollywood mogul, this is what you're getting. Number one, in the Garden of Eden, Satan said, you will be as God. That's what they say. Everybody has God. Everybody's God. Pantheism. The Hollywood mogul believes that every human being is a God in one way or another. Then Satan said, oh, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Reincarnation. They believe that you have the power to, de to determine your destiny. Then they go on to say, he said in the Garden of Eden, well, you're going to know the difference between good and even. evil. That's relativism. You know what they say? You determine your own lifestyle. Then he says, your eyes are going to be open. Esotericism. You know what that means? I have all the knowledge I need. I just need to reach down inside of myself and pull out my own knowledge. That's what the Hollywood mogul believes. He's the one who's putting the television. Now let me show you what he did. He gave us, in, in February of this year, L.A. Law gave us the first lesbian kiss on television. Do you know that the lady, one of them that gave that kiss, has resigned from that show? She said, I will not put myself in that position. That is not my lifestyle, and I'm not going to allow them to, to display it as that. If she won't give the kiss, why will we watch it? The movie Switch. Boy, this ought to blow your mind. If you're a person who likes to go to the theater, let me tell you about the movie Switch that the mogul put on. The man who is against your God. The man who said there's no cross, no Christ, no bloodshed. Listen to what he says. In the movie Switch, a man who's a womanizer and a wheeler dealer dies. So God's talking to him. Now God is talking to him in voices of 
feminine and masculine. So now the mogul has our God as part woman, part man. Now, it goes on that while he's talking to him, Satan comes along. And Satan says, uh, uh, what are we doing here? And God says, well, I'm going to send him back. Oh, Satan says, wait a minute. Ho, ho, ho. I'm in this with you. Oh, when did Satan and God cooperate? Is that in your Bible? We're in this together. Why don't we have some fun? God says, okay. Well, what do we do? That's the way that you play. This is the way they display our God. He said, Satan did, why don't we send him back as a woman? So on the screen, you're watching two women, beautiful women, kissing and hugging and loving each other. But you know, it's okay because you see, we're going to sit there and say, well, it's all right because the one of them's really a man. You know what they're selling? Homosexuality. How many television programs do you see today that doesn't have a father or doesn't have a mother? They're breaking down the sanctity of the home and marriage. I tell you one thing, we've got to wake up. There is no X-rated movie today in any movie house. You know they've replaced it? X-rated movies had to be shown at a certain time in a certain place. Now they don't have to be. There's that which is known in the movie circles as NC-17. No children under 17. It can be the identical same movie. You know where they're going to send it? To the movie house where your kids go. God have mercy on us. It isn't a question whether I go or not, but I'll tell you one thing. I don't back Hollywood moguls. I never have, and I never will. You talk about the rapture of the church, where you'd like to be when he comes, you've got some resolves to make. I'll tell you that. Khrushchev said to Nixon, Russia doesn't have to attack the United States. Why, we're going to destroy you from the inside. Listen to this. In 1978, a study revealed that your children watch television 15,000 hours a year. By the time they not a year, by the time they graduated from high school, they have watched 15,000 hours of television. At the same time, they went to school 11,000 hours. In 1984, six years later, they concluded that your children are now watching 22,000 hours of television before they graduate from high school, as opposed to the same 11,000 hours. A thousand hour increase of television. Now, the National Institute of Health and Welfare concluded in a 10-year study that television violence has altered the emotional behavior of our children. I want to take it one step further. The Surgeon General who concurred that the report was accurate added his own words, but he added a definitive word. The Surgeon General said of that report, television and television violence has damaged, damaged the minds of our children. Those people that give the achievement tests around the world said that our achievement tests prove one thing, that our kids are not learning. Fox Communications took a nine-year-old boy to court. 
You know why they took him to court? Because the boy had a t-shirt on. Bart Simpson for Jesus Christ. And he, they said he was handing out a pamphlet. He was handing out a gospel tract. They call it a pamphlet. They said, we're going to take him to court because he's infringing on the rights of our logo. That's false. That's false. See, Fox Communication is part of the Mughal system in Hollywood. They're anti-God, anti-Christ. They don't want Bart Simpson connected with Jesus Christ. You know what the five-year-old told him? I make $5 a month or something on an allowance. If you want to take me to court, go ahead and take me. It'll be a long time getting your money. Saints of God, the question was asked, who is picking up the tab on television violence? Who is picking up the tab on moral decline? Who is picking up the tab on the damaging of our children's minds? And the psychologist answered unanimously, your children are picking up the tab. How have we gone wrong? Have we lost our power in the church? How can we have so many churches? How can there be so many Christians? And we have made no noticeable impact on our community. Our prison system has quadrupled in ten years. Now, a psychologist connected with John Hopkins University in 1946 went to a grade school and he said to the, some, uh, some kids at a particular grade level, give us the, the five worst fears you have. He walked away from the school with this scenario. Animals, dark places, high places, strangers, and loud noises. Thirty years later, the psychology department of John Hopkins University went back to the same school, the same age group, and said, give us the names of your five worst fears. Thirty years later, divorce, nuclear war, cancer, pollution, and being molested. I'm telling you, saints of God, we need a commitment in our churches. In Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, in 1946, Two out of three people went to church every solitary Sunday. Forty years later, they lost 50% of their membership. They're telling us that the gospel of today and the Christian life being lived today does not match that of 40-some years ago. We've lost our axe head. Then I think church leaders, pastors in the pulpits, have lost their power for God. A man said, a great preacher in this country made this statement just a few weeks ago. I never hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> I never say anything that's going to offend anybody. After all, it's my job to get them back here next week. <laughs> Psychology tells us some people never think till you make them mad. Let me tell you something. The man who stands in the pulpit as a minister... And if he is preaching the literal Word of God, he is going to make somebody mad. And if he isn't, he had better check his own ministry. I want to stop and inject something. I want to tell you that I thank God 
that I come to a church where the preacher of my church will stand in his pulpit and give an altar call. That is gone in all churches in this country. If you want to talk to somebody, I'll be out in the parking lot saying goodbye to people. I'll come by the office next week. And if I'm not, it's not my day off, and if I'm not doing something else, I'll talk to you. Francis Schaeffer said we're in a don't rock the boat syndrome. Great sermons do not make great preachers. Great convictions make great preachers. Preachers in the pulpits have sold us down the river in this country. David Brees and Dr. Hunt made this statement. That when we are invited to a church to talk on the rapture of the church, first three days we're there. They show us the building program. Two years we're going to have that. Three years we're going to have that. Seven years we're going to have that. And they say we're standing there wondering when somebody is going to ask me, Dr. Brees, when is the rapture coming? And he said, not an elder, not a deacon, not a pastor in the modern church of Jesus Christ today is interested in when God is going to return. I'm telling you, saints, we may not have a tomorrow. That's the literal Bible. There are no signs in the Bible. Now, you listen to me. There are no signs in the Bible for the rapture. That's imminent. You can't have a sign for something that can come before I finish this sermon. David Brees says that we have a building syndrome. We can't disciple people and build buildings. Peter Stoner of Moody Institute said, If anything in this world ought to change the heart of a man in the pulpit, it ought to be prophecy. He said that the law of compound probability is that if there are eight prophecies fulfilled in one man's lifetime in the Bible, like it said it would be, he gave the odds. Now listen to the odds. There's one over eight times ten to the sixty-third power. Let me make it simple. Eight plus sixty-three zeros divided by ten is one hundred and eighty twin trillion. Those are the odds. Have you ever read the life of Jesus Christ and seen how many of the prophecies were fulfilled in his lifetime? He just said seven or eight. Now, if you go over eight and go to nine or ten, now let me tell you what Mr. Stoner says are the odds. That any prophecies fulfilled in the Bible in one lifetime as prophesied in the Bible. Let me tell you what those odds are. You take silver dollars and you stack them two feet high. In the state of Texas. <laughs> this is getting interesting. Then you take an airplane or a helicopter and you fly over the state of Texas and you put a cross on one of the silver dollars and you throw it out. Now we're talking about the state of Texas. Two feet high. Then he says you blindfold a man and you tell him you can go anywhere in the state of Texas you want to go. You can pick up one silver dollar. And it has to be the one with a mark on it. Those are the odds. Why can't we be excited about our gospel? 
Those are the odds. Prophecy ought to thrill us to death. Gorbachev met the Pope. You read about that? Gorbachev met the Pope. <laughs> Wouldn't you have liked to have been a bat in the Vatican Balfrey? Huh? Then there listen. Little bird. Tweet, 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 tweet. Listen to him. You see, I don't have to go there and listen. Because my Bible tells me exactly what those two crooks were talking about. See, the Bible says one believes in a one-world political system. The other believes in a one-world religious system. Now, can't you just see what they're saying? Why, hey, buddy, when I take over, you're going to come right with me. Can't you just see it? Right before our eyes. And nobody's talking about the coming of Christ. Nobody's talking about the rapture. Nobody's talking about fulfilled prophecy. We're just going on as great as we can go. I'll tell you one thing. Nobody will steal my faith from me. The world stage is being set. I'm standing right now this morning with you, and we are standing on the front porch, looking the front porch of the rapture. We're looking through the glass doors down the hallowed halls to the big room at the end, which is known as the abomination of desolation. I'm not going to be there. But the new temple in Jerusalem will. Now let me tell you something. Of the 92 pieces of furniture used in the ancient temple, used to help in the services, the sacrificial services, of the 92 used, 58 have been replaced reduplicated as of this moment right now, and they're in Israel. There is a chandelier being manufactured that's going to cost $10 million that's going into that temple. There have been spices and incense sent by the nation of Israel to laboratories all over the world, and there's some probably in the laboratories in Berkeley, California. Their function and their job is to get these spices and those incense to give the same aroma that they gave back in the days when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the temple. That is their function. There is a brancher in Texas who has been hired by the government of Israel to crossbreed and to come up with and to develop a red heifer. Saints, what are we doing? the world. We're headed on a crash course to destruction and nobody seems to know it. They're fulfilling everything before our very eyes. They cannot worship in the temple without the ashes of a red heifer. That comes out of the Old Testament. Now at the cross, Mary Magdalene, Joseph of Arimathea, and Lazarus, and now this is true, this has been purported and it is true. They migrated from Jerusalem to other parts of Europe. Mary Magdalene, it has been purported, went into France. Her lineage, or genealogy, became a royalty. Now, in the old Roman Empire, there was a family, it's known as the Habsburg Dynasty. They claim they are descendants of Mary Magdalene. I want you to listen. You may never hear this again. 
1977, 1979, and 1988, they held great conclaves to form up the United States of Europe that is in Europe to this very moment. In 1998, two men walked in the door, sat at a big conference table. They were the fine-tuned machinists to bring together the last works of the United States of Europe. One man was the father, the other was the son. The father's name is Otto, the son's name is Carl. Don't forget the last name, because you're going to see it in history. Their names are Habsburgs. They claim they are descendants of the Habsburgs of the old Roman Empire. Descendants of Mary Magdalene. Now, let's couple something else to this train. In 1909, a young man stood in Vienna. He's a seminary, a university student. And he's a member of an occult, satanic occult. And he's leaning over with his hands behind him, and he's reading an inscription in a case in the Vienna Museum. 1909. He's 21 years old. And the inscription reads, This spear has proven to be the spear that pierced the side of Jesus Christ on the cross. And any country or any man who has this spear in his possession at the time of war never has lost a war. 1909. 1933. This same old young man stands up on a podium in Germany and declares himself the Fuhrer. He said, my name is Adolf Hitler. He comes to power in 33. He reaches back into Vienna, and he brings every cult member from his satanic cult in Vienna to Germany. Fact. It's published. It's a, you can read it. He did something else. He brought with him the satanic logo that the satanic movement borrowed from the Hindu church. Guess what it was? Swastika. That's where it came from. Now, when this man died, came to power, before he died, when he came to power, 1938, he rolls into Vienna, into Austria, and they're cheering him, and they're clapping, and they're proud that he came. He said, I'm coming to save your country against intruders. While his army was going all over Austria, the Fuhrer was driving down the main streets, Headed for a museum. It's all reported. It's in history. It's all documented. He walked into the museum with a few of his Gestapo men and said to the curator, Over here. I'll take the spear. I'll take the spear. And when he died in 1944, a few bunkers away from him, they tell us they found the spear. Now, who dispatched that spear out of Germany? A name you all know. General Dwight D. Eisenhower picked up that spear and dispatched it at the expense of the United States government back to Vienna, where that spear is until this day. Now the question arises. Now let's add it together. Do you think maybe that the Habsburgs, who are on the scene now, and who are the fine-tuners of everything that's going on in the United States of Europe. 
Do you think that maybe Otto and Carl might want to do something with that spear? Oh, I forgot to tell you one little point. I forgot to tell you. The museum in Vienna is owned and operated by the Habsburg family. Do you think they might go back, reach in, and grab that spear when the United States of Europe just go? More than anything, I'll tell you, we've lost our power with God. There's a man called Benjamin Krem. He said, I am the New Age, John the Baptist. He said, I am the forerunner of a man named Matriah, who's coming out of the, of the Himalayas. Matriah said, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his spirit came in me. I am Jesus Christ, and I am the guru of the New Age movement. That's what he said. Isn't it amazing to you that the Presbyterian movement could have done what they did? We have to understand that the more satanic the world religions become, the more corrupt they become, the more ungodly they become, the more new age they become, the harder it's going to be for us. They are going to tell us that we are fanatical, that we are not relevant to the needs of the people. They're going to tell us we're narrow-minded. And they're going to tell us that we have no relevant spot in society. Sandra Day O'Connor made a statement in May of 1991, two months ago. Sandra Day O'Connor said, I have a fear that haunts me daily. And when asked, Chief Justice, what is the problem? She said, we are losing our religious freedoms in America and we cannot stop it. Indianapolis, Indiana. I want to show you something. The Freedom From Religion group took the governor of the state of Indiana to court and told him, in your state-owned motels, you will take the Gideon Bible out of every room. He said, I will not take that Gideon Bible out of any of my rooms. You can take me to court a hundred times, and I can lose two hundred times. That Bible is going to stay. So they won an injunction. In every stateroom motel in Indiana today, as you sit here, July the 7th, 1991, and you go to Indianapolis, Indiana, like you're going to go to Yosemite, and you stay in one of their parks. This is what you find on a great big plaque, twice the size of that one. Here's what you're going to read. Dear believer, literal belief in this book may be dangerous to your health and to your life. This book is violent, it's racist, it's sexist, and it's a fable. God is a sadist. He's depicted as a macho warrior. He's partial to one race of people. He makes women inferior to men. And he created hell to torture the poor souls that don't believe in him. That is in the hotels in Indianapolis today. In 1610, a man by the name of Rene Descartes walked into his stove. Now let me explain this. Back in the old, old days, they had a big fireplace, and on one side they could put stacks of wood. In the other place they had a little hole. The man could squeeze back into that hole and sit there and keep himself warm. So this great mathematician, he went into his stove. So when I say he sat in his stove, you understand what I mean. And he had a postulate. He said, because I doubt, I, one thing I can't doubt is the fact I doubt. 
So doubt must be the highest order of intelligence. Well, this is just a man, a mathematician. Then he said, I think. So because I think, I must be God. And from those two postulates, that man opened the door of his stove and said, I think I'll go get a drink. Documented in history. That man said, from this day forth, the universe removes around man, not God. The man that followed him, Emmanuel Kant, he's a man that never traveled more than 67 miles from his house. He said you can't learn anything other than by experience. You must experience absolute. He's another one that came along and said there are no absolutes. Now let me tell you what this man did. He concluded that the world is infinite. Now we think, hey, that's wonderful. Because we're going to connect infinite with our God. But in physics, infinite is not good. Not for us. What that means is, Immanuel Kant said that the world is infinite. It doesn't need a starter. It started on its own, it moves on its own, and it's doing good on its own. Thank God for Einstein, who came along with his theory of relativism and said, Oh no, the world is finite. The matter that's created had to have a push. But this man says, Oh no. Why do we mention these two men? Because it's these two men who are giving their information through books to the New Age movement. You and I, we've lost our power for God. Nebuchadnezzar got to the three Hebrew children. You know what history tells us? <laughs> they said, you know, you couldn't put three people in, in a furnace in that day in Babylon and have them walk. That's what history says. History says that's a farce. You can't do that. But you know, thank God for archaeology. <laughs> some archaeologists were doing some digging. And you know what they found? They found a furnace door. Mammoth thing. They found an inscription above the hole in the door. You know what it said? This furnace is used to burn people in who don't believe and go along with the state. These young guys had a resolve. You know what he said? We're all going to bow down and worship a false god. Can you imagine this now? I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine everybody in this church now getting down on your knees. And one person back there, Harley. Harley stands up and says, I'm not going to get down. Now, you understand how obvious that is? You can't miss the fact that Harley's standing up. Everybody else is laying down. So they went to the Nebuchadnezzar and said, Oh, you got three guys out there. They're not going to bow down. So I just seen Nebuchadnezzar runs off the field. He's all out of breath. He says, Now, boys, now listen, we're going to do it one more time. One more time by the numbers. As the music starts, everybody's going to bow down, and you boys are going to be nice and do it too. And they said, uh, uh -uh. No, no, we're not. We're not going to bow down. See, in your life, child of God, I'm going to tell you something. You have a day of resolve. They want to assimilate us. I had a preacher one time tell me that he liked a little rock music. You know that the Hindu religion is telling us today they're growing faster in the United States than any place in the world. The Islam movement says they're growing faster in the United States than any place in the world. Anton LaVey in San Francisco, head of the Church of Satan, says he's growing faster in the United States than any place in the world. I had a preacher stand in the pulpit one time and tell his congregation he liked a little rock music. You see, we, we're going on, you know what we're doing? We're being assimilated into the New Age movement. We're going to the movies, we're watching trash on television, and we like a little rock. Boom, da, ba, ba. I don't like any of that crap. 
That's rock. I want to show you something. I want to show you what happens. There's a man in Denver, Colorado by the name of Bob Larson. He talks to people who are in satanic cults. Now, if you like rock music, I want you to listen, because this man has a rock band called Suicide. His name is uh, Deicide. Now, if you like a little rock music and you like to buy a little uh, tape and take it home and play it once in a while, I want you to listen what you're doing. And then you ask yourself the question, have I not lost my power with God? Well, Glenn Benton is the gentleman that she's referring to. Glenn has been on the show before. Glenn is the leader of the band Suicide, and Glenn is a Satanist, and Glenn doesn't have much good to say about me or Jesus. So the guys in Slayer are using it for a hype. All right? You're telling me you want your fans to know you're serious about it. Exactly. I mean, if I told you exactly what I thought of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. I'm sure you'd be offended. So offend me. Jesus Christ was a homosexual and a false prophet. So who's the true God? Satan. Now, yesterday, Mr. Benton called me. Now, one of our regular phone lines, he was listening to the show. And what that man had to say on the air was, as uh, Bonnie said a moment ago, was really, really... So the guys in Slayer are using it for a hype. All right? You're telling me you want your fans to know you're serious about it. Exactly. Now let me show I mean, you I how serious exactly this man is. Right. Here's what he said yesterday. You called up demons to destroy me. Of course. Well, he can't do it. Oh, yeah. Christ. Wait. Christ. Wait. Christ in me is greater than anything <laughs> that we could call it. Christ dead, you fool. Wake up. He rose from the dead. <laughs> He rose from the dead. You will end. You will end. I subject that voice to the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. You can rebuke it all you like. I rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus. You would help, Bob. That gives you an idea what we're about. Let you know. They're kidding. They're very, very serious. Today, in closing, we have some great signs. The Bible says there will be signs from heaven. There is a sunburst that broke loose from the sun. 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. 70 times the size of earth. Our Bible says the earth will be destroyed by fire. There's a doomsday rock coming our way. Oh, we laugh about it. Oh, they say probably 50,000 years. Could be 510. But our military says they are trying to figure out ways now to break it up, destroy it, or move it off its axis. I want to say something to you that is most staggering of anything we've ever found in our universe to date. In Los Alamos, they have found what is known as the great bubble in the sky. It is 15 million miles away. It is 500 million light years long, 
250 million light years wide, 15 million light years thick. It carries with it 100 million, or 100, 1 million billion electrons of energy. It is 1,000 times more powerful than anything on Earth. What are they talking about? They're talking about the light that emanates from the bubble. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. The scientists are saying, get this message. The scientists are beginning to question one another. Have we hit the wall of our universe? Have we gone as far as we can go? The theologian is asking, in that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light emanating from the bubble, could it be the light of Christ? Is he on his way? I'll tell you, saints, it's later than any of us think. You have a resolve. Today is the day to do what the man in the book of Kings did. God told him, lean over and pick up your power. The church ministers in the pulpits, and people like you and I, we have lost our power for God. And I'm going to tell you whether you believe it or not, the rapture is on the way. If it doesn't come soon, you are going to be persecuted in this church, in your home, and on your job for your testimony's sake. You need a resolve. You need to put a vigil about your children. They say when they're kidnapped now, you'll never find them because they're going to satanic cults for worship. 4,000 years ago, the man of God said, pick up your power. That's the message of Jesus Christ today. You lost it. You know where you lost it. You lean over and you pick it up. Let's prepare for prayer. Chris?